You know, when you know something is true and you simply deny it, you turn your head the other way and pretend what you just heard isn't spot on. Well, that's what happened when I first heard the term fawning. Fawning is the new kid on the block. Well, kind of. It's not exactly new, but it's recently been added to the old faithful trio of fight, flight, or freeze. You know, the automatic nervous system reactions we have in the face of stress or trauma. Well, today I bravely turn towards fawning and explore what it means, how it got added to the trio, and why it makes me feel justified in my people-pleasing and perfectionism. That was a little surprise that I got when I actually stopped denying that fawning was, yeah, true, real, and something I did. (laughs) So this fawn thing... It isn't that cute little Bambi you grew up with, okay? But uh, don't be afraid. I would love to introduce you to what fawning is. So let's get into it, shall we? I'll see you in a minute. Hey, it's Vicki Smith. Welcome to Power to the Pleasers podcast. Want to start doing things on your terms and finally feel confident just being yourself in relationships? Well, you've landed in the right place. Here we break down your people-pleasing and perfectionistic patterns so you can move from being polite and doing it right to showing up, speaking up, and even laughing it up with people. Not sure it's possible? Well, stick around, friend. I'll show you how. Hey, everybody. I wanted to get into fawning today. Now, I have to admit to you that I have not really been that excited about talking about fawning. I've had it on my list of things that I wanted to share with you all for probably about six months. And the reason that I've resisted it is because I'm very familiar, and you might be too, with the fight, flight, or freeze nervous system trio that we have used for so long, right? And I really didn't want fawning to be that fourth F that got added. I really wanted to believe that in my nervous system, in my physiology, that I really couldn't control if I wanted to fight, flight, or freeze. So I liked the idea of believing that fawning was a behavioral strategy. It was a defense mechanism, but it was something that I could control. So I've sort of worked around that resistance and I am here to embrace that fawning is now part of the nervous system response categories. So why don't we just break it down now that I don't have a lot of resistance to it and we're here talking about it. (laughs) So I don't know if you're familiar with how fawning or the term actually started. So I remember when I was, I don't know, let's say I was a teenager and people were just starting to date or try to get people to like them. And I would hear things like, oh my God, he was fawning all over her. And I automatically knew what that meant somehow. It was that this person was kind of going over the top really flattering this other person, laughing at everything they said, just really trying to impress them so that that girl would like him. And I realized that, yeah, even though people pleasers do these things to get other folks to like us, sometimes it might look over the top, but a lot of times it's unconscious and it's underneath 
the surface. So I want to talk about the reason why we do all of this and how fawning actually applies to people pleasing. So let's say there is tension, conflict, anger, past experiences of being judged or rejected by somebody. And we want to turn all of that way down. We want to do our best to not have that experience again of feeling that tension, feeling that discomfort inside. So we do our version of fawning, which is accommodating, you know, kind of step stepping back into the supporting role, um, being silent, agreeing, being good, all of those things. So I know why I became a people pleaser, and this might resonate with you too. There was a bit of tension in my house growing up, right? Not abuse, but tension. I had a critical parent who was also a workaholic parent. And so they had very high standards. And then those standards sort of morphed into strict rules for the kids and the family. So this really set up this kind of internal unconscious approach to doing whatever I could to avoid getting in trouble right? And receiving any kind of criticism. So people pleasing and perfectionism all the way. I was a good kid until I became a teenager. And then I exchanged my fawning for fighting (laughs) as a teenager. Now that got me nowhere, but I want you to know that there are times when we have this hidden anger as people pleasers and perfectionists. And I think that's when we try to show that we really want to come up front. We really don't want to be behind the scenes or we don't want to be that accommodating. And the teenage years were a perfect time for me and a lot of us to exchange fawning for fighting. So it got me nowhere, but I still used fawning with friends because as again, a teenager, they were everything to me. That was my social group and I wanted to belong. So Fawning is a great way to either connect with people, which is what I tried to do with my friend group, or disarm people, right? Bring the tension down, which is what I tried to do with my critical, high standards, high expectations parent. I mean, nobody likes tension, right? And so we end up, because we're not emotionally sophisticated as kids and teenagers, we end up playing these unconscious games of survival all the time. And that's where fawning and then fighting come in as my teenage experience. I happen to love when my people pleaser clients get in touch with their anger because I remember my my fighting phase, um, my time that I really accessed anger as almost fun. It was very tense. I give it, I'll give you that. Like I really turned up the the tension volume in my house, even though I thought that I was asserting my power and that would decrease some kind of tension. But fighting was almost fun. It just, it really allowed me to access this power and through anger, which came out sideways as a teenager, of course, but I really enjoy when my clients start to dip into their anger because it makes me go like, oh yeah, that is, that is some powerful energy right there. But 
my fighting as a teenager with my strict parent really showed that I had some internal power, not a lot, not enough to influence anything, but I had some. And then the fawning helped me stay in the relationships, friendships I had because I needed to be able to get out of the house (laughs) and have people to go hang out with and to connect with, right? So in my teenage brain, I was using fight and flee, fight and, and flight with my parents and I was using fawning with my friends. So I was kind of getting everything in that um, nervous system category experience um, as a teenager. So I do want to say, though, that the role we end up taking on as kids before we really understand what or why we're, we're doing it, it sticks with us. So for me, the role I ended up taking on more often than not was fawning. And so that that role that we end up sticking with, it kind of becomes our go-to approach with people when we're moving out into um, the realm of interacting, making friends, being in work situations. We sort of have a default setting. Mine's been fawning. And if you're listening to this episode, um, yeah. Yours probably is too. So um, there's something else though, that when I was first taking in that fawning was going to be part of the nervous system um, response team, there's something else that made me resist it. And that was that I knew fawning was people pleasing. And I knew why I had reacted in that way of fawning because I wanted to decrease attention and criticism from my high expectations parent. I just didn't want to admit that some of that tension was not just, I had a strict parent, (laughs) right? I didn't want to admit that that prolonged tension was its own kind of abuse, if you will. And that constant tension really made me feel on guard a lot of time at my house. And that's your house. That's your home. That's where you should feel safe. But I wasn't emotionally. Um, I never knew when I was going to get in trouble for something. So I just stayed on guard and that really messed with my nervous system because when you stay on guard and you don't feel safe, that can start to move into the realm of trauma. And I did not want my fawning response to be a trauma response because Honestly, I'm a bit tired of hearing the term trauma response, but it's out there now and I understand why it's out there. We've been living in high, high conflict for many, many years. So I get it, but I have to admit and agree that fawning, just like fight, flight, or freeze, is from trauma. It is a 
response, a reaction to being on guard and having the nervous system be in that um, revved up state all the time. So when I was researching about fawning and trauma, I was like, okay, there's really no need to resist this anymore because it's clicking so much. I was personally checking off way too many items on the symptom list of, hey, do you know that you're fawning? (laughs) I was like, yes, yes, I do. And this is making it even more clear. So I wanted to go over some of those symptoms with you. And one of the first ones that really stood out to me was unable to say no (laughs) to anyone, (laughs) no matter what, right? Um, I think about that sometimes as like, I don't even say no to store clerks. Well, I used to not say no to store clerks. Like if they would be like, hey, do you want to bump bump your, you know, charge up 61 cents and donate? Like I would just be like, sure, sure. And now I actually just say no because I know I donate other places. And so the inability to say no to even something like bumping up my total at to the grocery store really let me know like, I'm really just trying to be so accommodating that I'm doing it now to people that are even strangers, right? Like this person does not really need to know that I'm a nice person or to believe I'm a nice person. (laughs) Um, I can be nice. I can be kind, but I don't, I can also say no. So not saying no, such a thing for a people pleaser, right? Also the no thing as a people pleaser, we really believe that saying no is going to cause conflict and that's going to bring on more discomfort for ourselves, right? And we're going to have to deal with the person that that conflict is arising in, right? And so if we, again, have this pattern of like many of us do having critical, high standards, perfectionistic parents and we lived in in homes like that, we really did not want to cause conflict. Um, I remember as a kid not wanting what everyone else was having for dinner and I would get scolded, right? I would get punished and I would feel shamed for wanting something different, for kind of creating some ripples in our normal, natural dinner time routine. So our human brains, we have a tendency to put things in formulas and patterns and around fawning and people pleasing, that formula for me became, if I say no, that equals me getting shamed. So that's how not saying no to almost anyone becomes a criteria to check off if you want to know if you're fawning. So as far as not wanting to say no at all, that just spreads to not wanting to even get someone's scowl on their face or something in response. It's like, I just don't want any discomfort, okay? Which brings me to another item on the fawning checklist. And that speaks directly to perfectionism, which is being good all the damn time to preemptively avoid getting in trouble, getting criticized, getting corrected, because that's also a shaming experience. And you can 
become a great people reader this way because you can you can start to pick up like oh is he in a bad mood when he comes home from work or you know was that something that didn't land very well with him because like i can see the look on his face i can hear the words i can hear his tone right and like say in the dinner time example if i wanted to be good all the damn time i might set the table right i might make sure everybody um went in line first and got food before me right i yeah i just wanted to be I wanted to be good. I wanted all that tension to be directed towards somebody else and not me. So maybe at dinner, I was quiet and I just ate whatever was in front of me and I didn't complain, right? So that leads me to another item on the fawning list, which is being overly responsible for how other people feel and especially being overly responsible about their reactivity, how their feeling comes out. So thinking and believing that if only I had not done that thing, then they would be happier. And let's use the dinner as an example. And this family didn't, dinner wouldn't feel so tense or I wouldn't be getting in trouble um, at this family dinner. So thinking and believing that if only I had not done a certain thing, I would have made this other person happy. So it's my fault, right? Everything becomes my fault. Even that person's overreactivity, um, super strict rules, those aren't my fault. My fault is I didn't follow them. Now, this brings me to another item and stay with me on the family dinner thread through this, the theme through this, because this next item on the list is disconnecting from your body. This is something that we people pleasers do when we're fawning, right? We do this. We disconnect from our body when we don't feel safe. So I mentioned safety earlier. It is a key piece that I've talked about in previous episodes. I want to go back to it because when we don't feel safe, the body shuts down. When we feel threatened, unsafe, the body shuts down. Blood does not go to our abdomen. It goes to the limbs and the heart so we can get the F out of there and flee or fight, as it were. So what do you imagine will happen at a super tense family dinner when you feel threatened? You are not going to move your blood towards your stomach your intestines, you're not going to be able to digest your food, basically. Okay. So pleasers and perfectionists, do you all have digestive issues? Raise your hand with me. I do. And it wasn't until probably last year, within the past year that I put two and two together around where my digestive issues came from. And I was like, how did I not realize this? Like I clench up. I constrict when I eat. And it's just a habitual stress response from childhood. A lot of stuff went down at the dinner table. Let me tell you, that's why I'm using this example as a, as a theme, but we aren't connected with our bodies and we don't get the signals from our bodies 
the signals that share that we're tired or we're full or we're hurting physically or anything like that, we disconnect from our bodies. And when you cut off sensations in the body, it's kind of like you're pushing a beach ball underwater and trying to hold it down. And you're just asking for it to pop up in another area to find release. And that is why I was talking about fighting as a teenager, because finding that release is going to look like a lot of times anger outbursts. And anger for a people pleaser and a perfectionist is a hidden experience. Okay. Like we are only going to share anger with safe people in safe places. And sometimes we even protect our safe people from our anger by just driving our car to the top of the parking level deck and screaming with the windows rolled up, right? Like sometimes we're even scared of our own anger because we've held down all the signals that our body is telling us that we should be saying no, or we should be getting up and leaving the situation. Now, granted, as a kid, we really didn't have those choices. So what do you think happens for a person that smiles on the outside all the time and wants to make sure we're disarming any tension and working really hard and being on guard? We're going to have to let some of that energy out. And that is often the hidden anger, the, you know, kind of boiling resentment that people pleasers and perfectionists live with. It just makes your nervous system never shut off from fight or flight, honestly. So being on guard, right? Now, when we don't shut off from, from, from fight, flight, or the spawning response, we get burned out. And let me just ask it this way. When you never shut off, you're on guard. It's almost like, are there any HSPs out there? Any highly sensitive folks, right? Like, hey, I see you. When you're disconnected from your body and even the heart or overly tuned in to the external. So you're disconnected from the internal and overly tuned into the external, right? Because we had to, we had to be able to read the room to access or assess if it was safe enough to show up and take up space or if we had to be invisible again. So that is um, like being overly sensitive, quote unquote, is, yeah, it's a stress response that this fawning thing leads us to and shows us like, yes, this is, this is part of the reason why you're doing this fawning. You are a sensitive person and you've learned to keep your antennas up all the time. So it's really not hard for me now to put my resistance to the side with fawning as a nervous system trauma, stress response, because it just is, it makes so much sense why our bodies would stay, why our hearts, why our guts, why our emotional bodies would stay in this space of, I have to cut the tension, right? And if I have to disconnect from my own body to cut the, my tension that I'm feeling and push that beach ball under, 
I'll try to do that, but I'm definitely going to try to influence my external world. This is when I just want to tell you all, I love you. (laughs) I see you. I am you. I have done so much to help myself over the years. Lots of years of trying stuff on to see if this thing helps ease my internal anxiety and tightness. If this thing is something I can sustain, you know, being this type of kind person um, in the outside world. So now I'm just, I'm really not surprised when I've read this fawning uh, checklist that my favorite clients to work with are pleasers and perfectionists. And so I wanted to give you a little, a little boost, a little positivity as um, we come to the end. And that is to let you know that I love working with fawning. I love working with people pleasing and perfectionism. And this is how I do it. There is hope, by the way, is what I'm saying. I really help my clients with body education. They're learning to come back to the body and live in their body safely. And that happens when we take back our control, if you will, of how our bodies respond to the external world. We did not have that luxury as a kid. So we were super smart and we created all these parts of us, these pleasers and perfectionistic parts to deal with the outside world. But now it is time to attend to you. And this means your insides, your body, your biology, how the nervous system works for all of us, but especially for you, speaking to my clients and how I work with them, body work is foundational. Then we build on EQ, emotional intelligence. We learn to identify and understand and work through the emotions because honestly, we didn't really get a chance to work through emotions. We had to close them up and keep them tight. That's part of being a good kid is not having a selfish little bratty outburst, right? So one of the ways we work through or work with EQ is to do something we clinicians like to say in the biz, distress tolerance. And doesn't that sound fun? (laughs) But it's learning to feel things that are uncomfortable so that you don't have to rely on this fawning or being perfect to attempt to avoid feeling any kind of discomfort. And I mean, if Buddhism and mindfulness has taught me anything, it's that Life really has the entire array of experiences and none of them are better or worse than the others. We categorize them as pleasant or unpleasant, sure. And we work to decrease the unpleasant and stack up the pleasant. Completely understandable. That is why we're, that's what we do as humans. But resisting the unpleasant is what makes the unpleasant more intolerable. And As people pleasers and perfectionists, we spend so much time trying to resist the unpleasant, right? So I don't know if I've talked you into becoming a mindfulness practitioner or a fanatic or whatever, but if there's any more I can drop on you here, the point is that we have feelings, all types, so we might as well learn to work with them and help ourselves through them instead of resist them by trying to be the best person that you can and control people and things outside of your control. Like it's just a losing game. So I introduce my clients to how they feel, how they feel towards how they feel, which is one of my favorite things. 
How do you feel towards what's going on for you right now? And that is where we bring in compassion, which I like to call a general sense of friendliness towards myself because I just don't like the the term self-compassion. It's just a little growing edge I have right now with myself. Um, But learning compassion, learning being friendly with ourselves because we really didn't get that demonstrated to us as a kid. We really didn't have a lot of, uh, let's, let's work through how you feel. Let's demonstrate that this is a safe place. Let's um, embrace feelings and let's um, be kind to people in our families that are having feelings. Most of us were like, don't have those feelings. You don't have anything to cry about. (laughs) So compassion, general friendliness towards yourself comes in. And then there's boundaries, of course. Um, And I have to say, I'm really starting to dig boundaries because they do feel powerful and they feel more solid and more sustainable than that anger outburst as a power place to feel. So those are some of the foundational pieces that I work with clients about self-compassion, EQ, um, body signals, body awareness, connecting to yourself and then boundaries, which of course, all of that then becomes a way to make our relationships more fulfilling and more enjoyable and more reciprocal and healthy and fun when all the things We really get to change the way our relationships have shown up for us. So I would like to just let you know that I have come to terms with fawning and I have learned to work with it myself as a stress and a trauma response. And I have no doubt that If we get to work together, I can help you also come to terms with the fact that fawning is part of your nervous system, biological, physiological response options, and that I really believe that even though fawning is not just a behavior, not just a defense strategy, and it is something that our nervous system is pretty smart about. I believe that we can still help ourselves move through that being our reactive stance, our default approach to trying to decrease the tension and shaming or conflict or criticism. Okay. So do you understand fawning now? Because I feel so much better about it. Um, And if you would like to take the next steps to building on that solid, safe, and caring foundation I was talking about that I do with my clients, just know that there's a link in the show notes to take some action on feeling calm and confident. And I would love to spend some time with you so that you didn't have to spend all this time taking our circuitous route like I did. And yet you can actually notice that fawning does give you information about yourself and about the situation and that you have a ton of things to do to help yourself move through it. Okay. I have loved getting into fawning with you. I have loved finally crossing it off the list of episodes that I've wanted to share with you. And I love now that I'm not resisting it. 
So I'll end on that. And I look forward to hanging out with you more people pleasers and perfectionists. You're my favorite kind of people. All right. Later, y'all. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If this has been helpful for you, I'd so appreciate it if you could take a moment and just rate and review, and then others might be able to find us more easily. And please also share with friends that could use this information too. Okay, thanks again. And I look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the future. Take care.